on this episode of Swordplay, the Book of Philemon. And we are your hosts for this program. I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California, and also host of the Live from the Pulpit podcast. And I'm Alex Flood. I'm an evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, I also am the host of a podcast called Karooks of the Canon. Although it's been quite a while since I've done any episodes on that, so we'll we'll see. So how how's your week been, Nick? So far, so good. Ready to dive into Philemon, which, I'm, by the way, is a um, you know when when I when I preach this particular text, I talk about Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee was only five seven. He weighed a buck thirty five in his prime. But he packed a serious punch, just one inch, and he could floor a grown man. And Philemon is is like (laughs) the Bruce Lee book of the New Testament. It's small, but it packs a very significant theological punch. Uh, I like it. It's the the Tao of Jeet Kune Do Philemon. I like it. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Well, Nick, should we... Uh, tell the audience a little bit about ourselves. I mean, you and I, we've known each other for, for quite a few years. Uh, how did we meet? We met in Wichita, Kansas, at the Northside Church of Christ. I was the intern there. Uh, you were one of the members. Um, but um, I had just graduated Sunset International Bible Institute and was doing my one-year internship. And uh, was only there for a year, but we did forge a very deep, very strong relationship. And I like to think, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, that I had um, some influence in you going to SIBI. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was there and uh, sort of in the early stages of my learning of the Bible, uh, became a Christian uh, in my later teenage years. So yeah, uh, I remember when you came and you just had a, a really good, solid Bible base of knowledge to go off of. And uh, I was teaching the young adults class, which I uh, felt uh, severely under uh, prepared for, but nonetheless, I, w- I was doing it. And I remember getting some good tips from you uh, over the months, and I really appreciated that. And for sure, you definitely had an impact on the uh, trajectory that I ended up taking by going to Sunset International Bible Institute. And so I know we've remained in contact over the years and always uh, bouncing theological questions uh, back and forth through text message and and email and uh, sometimes over the phone. And so I'm pretty sure over the last uh, decade, we've solved 90% of the world's theological problems. And we're going to solve the other 10% via this podcast. So That's that's right. So I I figured it's time to... uh, share some of these uh, thoughts with the world and and see what happens. So appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, Yeah, let's jump right into the letter of Philemon. As Nick and I were discussing this podcast, we decided not to necessarily do a verse-by-verse, you know, exegetical uh, exposition of the text, but really to try and point out some interesting things that you might not see as a casual reader of the book of Philemon, see if we can tie it into any kind of larger narrative or themes within the book or within the Bible, and then uh, throw out some questions that are just food for thought. So we may even say some things that don't have uh, 
clear answers. It may have a couple of possibilities that you just have to ponder over and uh, meditate on and pray about. So I'm excited to jump into Philemon. Nick, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you think Philemon is? Well, um, Philemon, so now we're talking about audience, right? Who, who this epistle was written to. And it was written to a man named Philemon. It appears he was uh, a family man uh, right there at the very beginning. A couple of people are named, Apphia and Archippus, and there are those who believe that those could have been, uh, Apphia could have been uh, Philemon's wife and possibly Archippus's mother, or could have been uh, Philemon's daughter and Archippus's sister, Archippus could have been Philemon's son. There's not a lot of evidence to go on for either of those. It's possible. What we do know is that these are fellow Christians. Uh, Paul talks about Apphia as our sister, Archippus as our fellow soldier, the church that meets in your house. It seems that Philemon is a church leader, so he's over the family of God but also seems to be a leader in his own home, since the church meets there in his home. And um, also, again, if this is his wife and son, or son and daughter, um, his family, he's led his family in the Lord. And he's also a faithful man, a faithful man to the Lord. He's got a house church. Um, He's deeply concerned about uh, the Lord and the faith. Paul talks about how he's heard of Philemon's love and his faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He loves the church. That's verse 5, by the way, and is apparently a fruitful man. He's bearing fruit with his faith. He's uh, a friendly man, Paul lists several of his friends at the end of this epistle, verse 24, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, who are Paul's fellow workers, but uh, and they're Paul's friends, but they're also Philemon's friends. They fellowshiped with one another, probably worshiped together in the same house church at some point. So bottom line is Philemon was a good Christian man, and yet he still had a character flaw. He still had a hidden sin, or at least had something in his life that cast a shadow over the rest of it, an attitude that needed to be pointed out and repented of. And by the way, I think that's a valuable lesson to carry across the bridge of time for us today is, look, we may be good Christian men, good Christian women, but we still have something or some things in our lives that we need to identify and we need to repent of them. So uh, that's powerful message from Philemon today. Yeah, I really like what you said about uh, Apphia and Archippus and thinking about the possibility of them actually being family members with Philemon and making sense out of their being included in the address to the letter. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, but Archippus, you can see his name also mentioned in Colossians 4.17. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so in Colossians 4.17, uh, doesn't he say something about like um, fulfilling his ministry or taking heed to the ministry that he's been given? What is that? Yeah, let me grab it real quick. Uh, Colossians 4.17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Okay, yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting when I tie this story into sort of a, a, a 
a visual um, like movie inside my head and I see these characters being played out. Um, boy, to think about Archippus being like the son or some sort of family relative with Philemon and co-leader in the church there at his house, uh, that really brings in some uh, you know, wider uh, aspects into this whole letter. Um, I like how Philemon is also addressed by Paul as this partner with him in the faith and uh, just the kind of language and, and what that would feel like to have the Apostle Paul call you a partner and to say, you know, if you consider me a partner, um, here's what I'd like you to do. So it's a uh, it's very interesting language he's using back and forth there. Another question that I had, though, was as Paul encourages Philemon and uh, makes his appeal in this letter to him, uh, I came across different translations for verse 6. Now, I normally read as the New American Standard, and in verse 6, here's what he prays for Philemon. He says, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, that's a big, that's a mouthful. I mean, it's a run-on sentence, right? And so mm -hmm. it's probably good Greek, but I think it's also tricky Greek because we have a, quite a few different translations. Now, uh, what do you normally read out of? The English Standard Version. Okay, what's that say? It says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Okay, so it's almost the same. Yours says, for the knowledge of every good thing. Uh, mine says, through the knowledge of every good thing. What do you think's going on here, Nick? Because uh, here's what I'm getting at. There's a, it seems to be a difference in cause and effect. Do we have something going on here where um, if Philemon comes to a better understanding of the goodness within him for Christ's sake, is that the cause that will lead to the effect of him more effectively sharing his faith? Or is it the other way around? I've the way I've viewed it is that sharing our faith promotes understanding into the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In other words, we learn the most when we tell others what we know. So that's that's how I've approached it. Um, uh, what say you? Well, you know, to throw another uh, monkey wrench into this. The New Revised Standard says something even different. New Revised Standard says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. And so that throws it a little different spin on it, making it sound like first you perceive all the good that we could do for Christ, and out of that perception, out of that excitement or encouragement, you become more effective in sharing your faith. And so you still have this back and forth thing. I'll tell you why, Landon, probably just because I'm used to reading the New American Standard. When I read out of the NASB, it makes me think that uh, Philemon needs this encouragement. Philemon needs to know that there is good in him, and that good is in him for the sake of Christ. And when he realizes that, that is to be the uh, vantage point through which he effectively moves into a sharing of his faith. And so first you know uh, you know who you're coming from, and, and then you go out for him as his representative. So that's sort of the spin I've, I've taken on it, on it, especially when I see other verses in Philemon where Paul continually points out his goodness. And so this prayer about the goodness in him for Christ's sake. But later on in verse 10, he'll say... Um, he didn't want Philemon's goodness to be by compulsion, but of his own free will. So that's that's kind of where I've always seen it. But interesting, 
interesting thoughts. You know, just by reading a few different translations, you can uh, find a couple of different vantage points there. Uh, what other thoughts do you have uh, about the text, Nick? Well, I, I knew this question was coming, so I grabbed my Greek apparatus. Here it is. On the table. <laughs> um, no, uh, there's, there's one little thing there in verse 6 about... Um, you'll see it maybe in a footnote um, towards the end where it talks about that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's my English standard. Um, other translations have that is in you, and it's a plural you, uh, for the sake of Christ. The difference there is literally like one letter. Um, is it amen or human? And bottom line is us, you. It's kind of similar to what you ran into in First John chapter one and verse four. Is it to does John write to make his joy complete or to make their joy complete? Bottom line is um, six one half dozen of the other. I think either one is good. In fact. Just looking at uh, the different manuscripts that that tran that or that have the different readings, there's a rich tradition for either. So I think either one is is appropriate. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds good to me. I uh, am no Greek expert by any means, but uh, I do appreciate the different resources available to the to the common person to uh, at least get a beginning grasp on what might be going on in the original language, and. Uh, just a, a side note to our readers, if you haven't read the book of Philemon, uh, it's not very long, it's just one chapter, it's only 25 verses. If you haven't read that or it's been a while, uh, go ahead and read that right now. You know, Pause the podcast, go back and read it, and then come back and listen to the podcast, because everything we're saying will make more sense if you have an understanding of the letter. In fact, uh, since it'll take you less than five minutes to read it, why don't you read it two or three times <laughs> and then come <laughs> back and... Uh, listen to some of the things that we're talking about, uh, because hopefully it'll be helpful to you in your understanding of the scriptures. When I was looking at the Greek, I found one word that did seem to uh, stand out. You know, you look up Greek words and you're like, I wonder what this means in the original language. And you're like, oh, it means the same thing that it's translated as. Okay. And so <laughs> you yeah. do that about nine times. And then on the 10th time, you find something that actually brings quite a bit of insight. And for me, that word was the word refreshed mm -hmm. in verse 7. And it's also used in verse 20. That's right. And in the original language, the Greek is anapao. Uh, and I think, I'm, am I saying that right, Nick? Is it anapao? Uh, sure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, uh, Strong's number 373. If you don't know how to read Greek, just remember the number 373. Uh, the definition I got here from Thayer's Greek lexicon, um, I like to use Thayer's. I also like to use the, uh, the BDAG. Um, and compared, they're both pretty good. Let's see, this says, to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. And so you kind of get this picture of, yeah, this is, uh, this is a little oasis in the desert. This is a cup of cold water when you're very, very thirsty. Uh, to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. And so it looks like Paul is asking for that uh, from Philemon at the end of the letter through some lodging that he's going to need. Uh, but then he also says that uh, this is something Philemon is, is known for in verse 7, and Paul can appreciate that deeply. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, that's right. Everything you said was right. 
give rest, refresh from tiredness. Um, he did that for the hearts of the saints in verse 7. So um, they, he welcomed and refreshed the saints, sought to be a benefit to his fellow brothers and sisters. It's interesting when you get to verse 20, um, refresh my heart in Christ is what Paul says there. But to get to verse 20, you have to go through verse 12, where he says, I'm sending back to you, uh, sending him back to you, sending Onesimus back, and we're going to talk about who Onesimus was in a minute, but sending my very heart. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's it, th- make that little connection there in, in your Bible about refresh my heart. Is he talking about, you know, granting the rest when he shows up and takes advantage of the guest room? Could be. But is he also talking about Onesimus here and what he expects Philemon to do? Um, yeah, I think there's a good possibility for that as well. You know, that's an important theological uh, combination there because it almost seems like Paul is saying you can't separate your good, you know, physical deeds from the good relational deeds in which you will offer your uh, material goods, but you also offer uh, grace and forgiveness, and it seems like that goes into a little bit of what Paul is requesting from Philemon. Which brings me to the next question. Um, We're wondering who Onesimus is, and you get an idea in the letter, but I'm specifically wondering about verse 16. Now, Nick, tell me, what are your thoughts on Onesimus being a brother to Philemon? in the flesh, but also now as a Christian in the Lord. So let me read the verse. Uh, It says in verse 15, backing up, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, so... (sighs) It could be that Onesimus... Let's let's back up here and talk some length about who Onesimus was um, to Philemon. He was a slave. He was a a bond servant. Um, He was a doulos of Philemon, Onesimus was. And he'd run away from his master, and that was an action which was punishable on death. So when you get here to um, verse 16 in this, in the flesh and in the Lord, um, the way I've read that, what, what Onesimus gets back, or excuse me, what Philemon gets back is, um, Phile- he gets Onesimus back in the flesh, so he's there to be of use, he's there, he's present, um, but also in the Lord, um, he's a brother in Christ. Um, but there are other alternatives to that, aren't there, Alex? Yeah, you know, I've always seen um, two different trajectories here, and I'll tell you which one I follow. Um, first, uh, the way some people take it is they're like, okay, you know, Onesimus is coming back. He's going to be a brother in Christ now that uh, he has been begotten by Paul, talking about his conversion experience in prison with the apostle. Uh, But now he says to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So in the flesh, uh, I think some people take that to mean like uh, he is your fellow countryman, sort of this um, ethnic commonality maybe. 
Uh, however, there's another trajectory which I sort of favor, uh, which feeds into a little bit about how I view the theme and emphasis throughout the letter. And that's the trajectory that says, in the flesh is talking about a blood relative, somebody who is a, a literal uh, genetic brother to Philemon. And so I wonder if we have somewhat of a uh, same father, different mother situation, or same mother, different father situation, because uh, obviously one of these brothers is a slave, and one of them is apparently pretty wealthy, Philemon having a house big enough to host a church, Philemon being able to uh, be considered a partner and uh, have lodging and refreshment for the saints in the ministry of, of the church. So I wonder if what we see here is not just a reconciliation of uh, now brothers in Christ, but a reconciliation of brothers in the flesh. And this just starts flooding to my mind all of the Old Testament narratives about conflict between brothers. I mean, the first conflict we see, right, outside of the garden, Cain and Abel. Uh, we see conflict between Joseph and his brothers, uh, the sons of Jacob, and, and they have different mothers, right? So some of that plays into it. We see conflict between uh, the sons of Isaac, uh, I mean the sons of Abraham. We have Isaac and Ishmael, and they have different mothers. And even in that situation, um, the, the son of the slave woman uh, is not treated the same as the son of the free woman, right? So we have Hagar having Ishmael being the slave, and Sarah having Isaac being the free son and the, the inheritance-bearing uh, son. So I wonder if this episode between Philemon and Onesimus uh, is sort of the playing out of this grander narrative about conflict between brothers and the reconciliation that is found uh, within Christ and rolling back into that the entire you know idea of what it means to be in Christ now, not just for yourself, but for all others who are also in Christ and how you relate to one another. So th that's what comes to my mind. What do you think, Nick? No, I think that's that's right on the money. Um, and something else about Onesimus, his name, names have significance. Um, Onesimus means useful, and so you also have this arc here in this narrative which we only get, we get so little information, but we, we do our best to piece it together, where Paul talks about, you know, formerly um, Onesimus was useless to you. He says that in verse 11, now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So Onesimus, as a runaway slave, wasn't useful to his master. Maybe he was a lazy worker. He didn't like his job. He didn't enjoy doing what he was doing, and so he did nothing. But now, as a Christian slave, because even though he's become a Christian, that doesn't erase his civil responsibility here, um, he's going to come back and he's going to be useful to his master, um, even as he's become integral to Paul's life. Now he's coming back, he's, be he's become the heart for Paul, my very heart, he says, and so maybe he can become the heart of whatever it is Philemon is doing, whatever his particular line of work was, Onesimus can be integral to that. And so, um, and, and I know we're going to talk about themes here that run through this. One of the dominant themes that runs through this, as you were talking about, is this theme of forgiveness and how Philemon is to forgive Onesimus 
And he's to do it for a number of reasons. He's supposed to forgive because um, not as a not as a command. Paul says that in verse uh, eight. I I'm bold enough to do it, but I'm not going to. He says I'm going to appeal to your love. I'm and and uh, I'm doing this for my son in the faith. That's the idea there in verse ten. Um, and so forgive him for love's sake, forgive him for my sake, Paul says. He's my very heart. Forgive him for your sake. He's useful to you. Put your goodness on display here for others to see. And it's got to be a voluntary thing. Can't, can't force this on you, Philemon. And uh, also do it for uh, Onesimus's sake as well. He's your new brother now. And it was providential, Paul essentially says, that, that I, I met him. And he was converted, and he's become useful to me, and and now you get him back um, forever, as as uh, your brother in Christ. Yeah, I really like that, Nick. So you're saying that the word Onesimus, his name, the actual meaning of Onesimus means useful. That's right. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So uh, here we go, learning something new every day. <laughs> that's that's pretty significant with the play on words that Paul uses there, calling him useful, useless, now useful, yep. matching up with his name. Okay, I didn't, even, I didn't know that. That's that's awesome. Um, now there is something weird going on here in verse nineteen. Paul says, "I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll repay mm-hmm. it." You know, um, when Paul sort of steps out here and vouches for um, any kind of material loss that uh, Philemon may have suffered from uh, Onesimus, do you think? You know, somebody else was writing, and then Paul like said, "Hey, give me that, give me that quill. Let let me see this part." <laughs> and then he he gives his own, you know, John Hancock, if you will, to sort of verify the the seriousness of his his, his vouching. What do you think? I I think you get other instances of that elsewhere in the New Testament where um, he had. For example, uh, Tertius for Romans. Um, so he had the big word for it is amanuensis. He just had a, a secretary, as it were, who would write for him as he dictated. Um, there are other instances like Galatians where it seems like he may have written the whole thing, um, although there may have been someone there writing as he dictated, and then he took the last paragraph or two in that one. Philemon is short enough. He could have done it with his own hand, and so... Um, uh, yeah, he he very well could have penned all 25 verses of this himself. Uh, he was probably in a, uh, a this was a prison epistle, um, even though it was a private correspondence. He was writing from uh, prison, and so he may have written the whole thing. May have been, yeah, give me the quill. I'll do it from here. Do you think um, if somebody was helping him, do you think it was Timothy, as mentioned in verse one, or maybe Epaphras mentioned uh, as his fellow prisoner in verse 23? Uh, absolutely, could have been, could have been any one of his helpers. <laughs> Either one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, that verse nineteen, though, um, uh, not just for the interesting point of, hey, I'm writing this with my own hand, but what Paul is saying here about, look, um, put it on my tab, as it were. Right? He puts right, this right. In, in legal terms. It's a legal contract between Paul and Philemon, like an IOU. And so Paul says, look, whatever Onesimus owes you. I will gladly pay it so that Onesimus has a clear record. Paul will pay this in full, and man, that conjures up images of what Jesus says on the cross, John 19, verse 30, where he says, paid in full. And so just as Christ pays the debt for us, 
Paul is saying, I pay the debt for Onesimus. Put it, put it on me. Now that brings me to another question, though, Nick. And uh, sometimes this question even makes me a little uncomfortable because I, I like to think of Paul as, as being, uh, you know, I want to say he's not perfect, but boy, when I look at him, I see a perfect Christian. And so I know that that can't be absolutely true. And uh, sometimes I wonder if I'm missing something here. Is something just not being translated right? Am I miss- is something getting lost in translation? Is something getting lost in culture? Is something getting lost in idiomatic, you know, uh, you know, different phrasings or stuff? But here's what I'm getting at. Uh, does Paul sound a little coercive in a couple of these verses in Philemon? Like when he says uh, in verse 19, I'm writing this with my own hand, I'll repay it. But then you have this parenthetical that says, uh, not to mention that you do owe me even yourself as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here, here's where I'm at with that. It, it, could it be coercive? Maybe. Um, Paul, I think he'll use every available argument in order to uh, get these brothers reconciled, um, whatever, whatever it takes. But at the same time, I mean, he's got a gospel principle right there with, um, I will repay it. And so I, I believe as he appeals to the ethic of the kingdom of Christ, and that's the thing about the ethics of the kingdom is they're always subversive, and I think that's, that may be more in line with what Paul is doing, um, is he's subverting the master-slave relationship. Um, he, he doesn't give an apostolic command saying, I abolish it entirely, <clears throat> but there are things already in place. Um, Christ has already lived and died and taught and all that. There are already principles in place which are going to subvert the uh, civil institution of slavery. You're not there yet in the first century, but you, you'll get there eventually. And so I, that, that may be more in line with what Paul is doing. I see. Well, I think that brings us uh, nicely into our tough text of the day. Our tough text of the day. Uh, What is our tough text of the day, Nick? It's uh, verse 16 regarding, um, and and we're we're talking here about um, uh, this, the the theme of um, slavery and Paul says there, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant. So <clears throat> is this epistle a flat-out abolishment of slavery? Uh, that there are some who, who view Philemon that way, but is that the case? And so that's, I think, the trajectory of our tough text for today. What do you think about that? Boy, I think the reason it's a tough text is because there is definitely uh, quite the stigma on slavery uh, based off of our own uh, United States history, right? And so uh, the way I see it is um, slavery can be a really, really nasty, terrible business, right? Uh, Mm. And I think that's just because uh, we're human and uh, there's a lot of evil things that humans do. And so... um, even without slavery, right, there's still a lot of evil things that we do to each other, uh, ways that we use each other uh, and, and manipulate each other. So I kind of take this back to uh, the principle of, okay, if, if you're going to have a slave, uh, does God have a word to say on 
the practice of slavery. And when I when I look at that, I go back to the Old Testament. I look at especially the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in which Moses uh, delivers uh, the law of God, but expounds upon it, gives these scenarios. And one of the uh, some of the scenarios talk about how uh, there are special rules put in place for the orphan, the widow, the um, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the and the uh, the slave, and how slaves were to be taken care of, and that if slaves were abused, that they could run away. There would be cities of refuge, and uh, there was special protection granted to a runaway slave. So it wasn't just your piece of property, and uh, you can be killed at any given moment because because you have no human value. It wasn't that way in the in the law of Moses, and. Uh, of course, uh, in Rome, you might have a different picture there. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Nick? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> as as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the the principles were already in place from the kingdom ethic that Christ gave that would subvert um, the institution of slavery. Not just slavery. There are other things in play there. Um, some of the things that you mentioned, uh, especially uh, also regarding women and and how they were treated, children as well. Um, they're they're not property; they're people, and so there were principles in place for that. The institution of marriage was uh, a wreck; it was in shambles in the first century. Christ came, and again, there's kingdom ethic regarding that, and so. I, I think that's that's the way this is to be understood. Uh, Philemon was written by Paul. Uh, he, he very easily could have issued an apostolic command and and issued a treatise on um, slavery and and um, how that is to be done away with. But he doesn't do that. Sure. And, and in fact, he he refuses to appeal to his apostolic. He, he could have done that. He could have introduced himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right at the beginning, but he introduces himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And so instead what he does, he doesn't step around it, he wades right into it with um, just reiterating what uh, God had already um, uh, proclaimed and issued through Christ, uh, an ethic of reconciliation, an ethic of forgiveness, an ethic of grace. And, and all of that enters in here in order to uh, subvert this civil institution. And of course, there's definitely the sensitivity, right? Still, though, based off of our modern readers, uh, when you see the translations not putting doulos, um, uh, when you state you're a, you're a servant of Christ Jesus, uh, it's translated servant, bond servant, right? But doulos, I mean, what's doulos mean? It, it means slave. <laughs> That's um, the, from based on the study that I've I've done and digging into that word. Um, it's it was um, they had different words for for servants and things like that, but doulos was the slave. That's literally what it meant. Um, so I know in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, um, you were not a slave for life. If you were a slave for one reason or the other, it was to eventually come to an end. Uh, even year of if, Jubilee. Right. Yeah. Even if you had to wait until the year of Jubilee, uh, you would be set free. Uh, your property, if you had sold it, it would be reverted back to the family uh, that it originally was apportioned to. 
by the law of God. Um, and yet, uh, we sing a song, don't we, Nick? Pierce my ear, oh Lord right. my God. Right. So what's that pierce my ear about? Oh, that goes back to uh, the slave that didn't want to leave, um, that loved his master and wanted to stay. And, and, and see, that also, I think... Um, ought to influence how we view the ancient practice of slavery. In some cases, it was awful. Maybe in most cases, it was terrible. But there were those masters that were good to their slaves um, and treated them with, with dignity. And if they got to the end of their uh, time as a slave or made it to the year of Jubilee and were free to go, uh, there were some who decided that they wanted to stay. And if they did... Um, there was provision for that in the law that um, you go to the uh, the threshold, the doorway, and you have basically a, a spike driven through your ear, and that was a symbol that you were um, you desired to be in your master's house forever. Wow, that's a it's a powerful visual uh, illustration, and, and to look at that hole in the door every single day and to, to have that sort of be the witness between you and your commitment and the goodness of your master to you. Not to mention the hole in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I like I like what you said, though, about, you know, regardless of whether we're talking uh, uh, in a Jewish context or a Gentile context, however slavery is playing out um, throughout history and throughout nations, uh, the ethic, the kingdom ethic and uh, of that Christ... Uh, really brings to light in the Gospels. I mean, it really subverts uh, any kind of abuse that would take place as being unjust and as uh, needing corrected and needing repentance. And so uh, I think it's one of those good news messages that like Christ, uh, Christ can fix it <laughs> if you let yeah. him. So I appreciate that. Any final thoughts, Nick? Um, let's talk just a minute about um, modern application of this. Um, I, I came across an article by Brian Hodge, and it's, um, he he's a uh, member of the Church of Christ. Just so happened that I ran across this article, and one of the modern applications that he talked about um, was, and this is something. Look, don't let the surname fool you, right, Perez? I am Mexican, okay, um, <laughs> and and Alex, so are you. And so um, he was talking about how um, the folks that, that come across the border illegally, um, undocumented, uh, right? Uh, they come here and they don't have the proper paperwork. They've not gone through the proper channels. Um, and, and let's say that one of them is converted and becomes a Christian. Um, this author said, you know, um, I think Philemon speaks a word to that, that you know, the, the message is you, you go back or you pursue the proper avenues of becoming a, a legal citizen of the country. And I think he's on to something there. Uh, when I went to Guatemala a couple years ago to check on uh, one of the mission points that we supported, one of the questions I asked was about, you know, some of the folks that come across the border in the U.S. are from Guatemala. I said, what what, what is the message that, that you guys... Uh, teach here regarding that, and they said, "Well, we we tell them um, that if they go, they should be they should pursue a legal pathway. But 
um, that they should stay here and, and serve right where God has called them. And and so I, I think when I when it comes to Philemon and when it comes to an issue like undocumented um, folks, uh, illegal immigration, I think Philemon has a word to speak to that about, uh, especially if one one of them becomes a, a Christian. Sure. You know, that's definitely uh, an important topic for today, uh, thinking about, you know, how, how do we view uh, immigrants and refugees and, and peoples of other nations coming into the country? And uh, it can definitely be uh, a hostile conversation to have, depending on who you're talking to. Right. Um, that's, that's definitely a tough question. I think it even goes back to um, some of the legal mess. My, my wife, Erin, uh, oh, and just by the way, uh, I, I'm, I'm a quarter Mexican, um, so that is a pretty significant chunk. If you were to see me, though, I'm the whitest person you will ever meet. <laughs> I mean, you might, uh, I'm not quite like transfigured on the mountain white, but like I am pretty, <laughs> I am pretty pasty, so uh, you might not, you might not see it right away. However, uh, when my wife and I talk about it, she has a, a law degree, and she took uh, a, f- uh, a few classes on immigration, and so so she's she's dealt uh, with some volunteering with immigration organizations uh, in the Twin Cities here, and boy, is it a mess. I mean, just legally speaking, just technically, like looking at the law and the process to be in this country, um, whether you've uh, gone through the proper channels or whether you're trying to uh, backtrack and go through the proper channels after being here legally, it is just a big legal mess and there's really not a good solution for it. And so um, there's a lot of important questions here. I mean, we have the authority of the government issue and that authority being backed by God in Romans 13. Uh, And yet we know the government doesn't always uh, put forth moral uh, laws and and moral positions, and so right. um, there you're caught in this zone of is there a higher principle to God that I must follow in here, uh, or do I still need to uh, do my best to to live at peace with the government and the governing rulers? And so uh, I leave that up to uh, each individual's each individual's uh, personal conscience, and I try to 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 bless people and to be a help to them whatever way they decide to go on that. And so let's uh, also not forget, perhaps, <clears throat> the universal application of this. And that is the, uh, the fact that, just like Onesimus, we all were, or perhaps even at this point are, runaway slaves. We've run away from our master's house as a result of sin, run away from God, and, and we are in need of, just like Onesimus, we are in need of restoration and forgiveness and, and grace. Um, here, this runaway slave, Onesimus, is, is called to join his master's house, to go back. And in a similar way, the, the sinner is called to come back home, to come back to God's family. And, and so I think that's, that's a... A powerful message also for today is Christ is is the one who's repaid it. Um, he'll pay it all, and He has on the cross, and and He's He's made it so we can come back home. Um, the question that that I have, um, and I guess just as a conclusion here, is what what happened, right? What happened when Onesimus made the long walk back home? 
and and came back to his master's house and there's Philemon. What 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 happened there? And and we don't know the rest of the story. We might be able to speculate, but um, Alex, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I always like a happy ending, right? And so yeah. uh, I, I want to to imagine the, the tear-jerking moment like when the prodigal son returns and you have the father running to embrace him and to throw a feast for him and to reinstate him uh, to sonship. And uh, I like to imagine... Uh, an even better version where the older brother is not angry about it and he is too happy and rejoicing uh, that this wandering brother has come back. You know, it uh, reminds me of James a lot. At the end of the book of James, the last two verses uh, end on that thought that if your brother goes astray and you're able to bring him back, you've saved his soul, you've covered a multitude of sins, and that uh, you've done well. So I I like to imagine a scene of... uh, peace and reconciliation and i and i think that is what happened and and i think paul expects to see that when he gets there for lodging yeah i i came across um it's a it's a tradition um from the apostolic canon and extra biblical writing that says that onesimus was emancipated and that he went on to become a bishop in ephesus so wow perhaps that is the rest of the story um you know, it's a it's a beautiful picture. It's a, a living parable of what Christ did on our behalf for us while we were still runaway slaves, um, and and it, like I said at the beginning, it packs that significant theological punch. Well, Nick, I'd call this uh, inaugural podcast a success. What do you think? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll just pat ourselves on the back then. I know I wanted to do uh, an hour long. You wanted to do half an hour long, and we're sitting at 45 minutes. So I Split the difference. I, I think we've done well. I think we've done well. Good teamwork, Bible buddy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, high five to the internet. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Swordplay, and we'll see you next time.